This is Lifetime Sentence, the podcast where we watch bad Lifetime original movies and compare them to the truly heinous stories that inspired them. Because sometimes the truth really is stranger than fiction. So how's it going? Well, as our Patreon folks know by now, I um, I feel like, hold on, I'm going to say what I want to say without getting emotional, but... My job, you know, my job has been extremely taxing on me. Yes. Um, very stressful. I work all the time. Um, and so I got a new job and I started today. I'm so proud of you. I'm so excited for you. I am excited too. It's just wildly different. It's like getting used to the different things. Uh-huh. Without wanting to scream like, it's a trap. Right. but yeah i started today um i bought a new desk but it's not here yet so i have this whole thing like i saw that i like i like your janky (laughs) it's janky as fuck but when the new desk gets here it'll be like all fancy and cool i'm so excited um i already the people that i've met that i work with i already like them it's been really cool and so i have more people to meet this week we have our own dedicated marketing person which is such a like frill for me which it shouldn't be but I'm like so excited about it and (laughs) so I meet with him tomorrow I'm like I'm just pumped I'm so happy and I can't wait to see what's next that's awesome yay and I haven't felt like that in a long time you look so much more refreshed already like thank you (laughs) like I don't know how to say it without sounding like you looked old because you didn't look old but you look younger does that make sense? Like, just yeah. like you're not worried about everything anymore. Mm-hmm. And you yeah. got incredible, like your hair is amazing right now. I love that color. Thank you. Thank you. I do too. And I got it cut and I never cut my hair. It's not that short, but I did get it cut. <laughs> it, you did get it cut. It looks so good. Like, Thank you. It's like new job, new me up in here. Yeah. New job, new me. Well, new life. On my on my end of things, I told you our school district decided Wednesday that we may be or Friday that we may be overstaffed. And so uh-huh. we'll find out this week. And as much as I love teaching, I would love to be my own boss more lately. And yeah, my soap store sold out this weekend. Like I have one bar left and I my online store has been open yeah. three days. Your stuff is incredible. Thank you. I use it. I love it. Um, so next, now I need you to start making lotions and other things. Oh, you so. know those are on the agenda. But like when I told, TikTok. I just have to brag. When I told my incredible wife that there's a chance I won't have a job anymore, she had already found me like a space to open my own soap shop and she'd like budgeted to see what it would take to do it. And like what all, it was just, I cannot imagine doing life without her because A, I'm a fucking idiot, but (laughs) B, I've spent so much of my, and I know we've been married since we were children. We were 22, but like before that, I spent so much of my life unsure and I started basically supporting myself when I was still in high school. So to have found somebody who is fine with every, like with me being the idiot that I am, who is so neurotic, like it's just the best. And I hope that everybody experiences that at some point. 
Yeah. As a single person, I don't have that yet, but that's like what I look for in a relationship. Like I st- like you and Dr. Sarah are like goals. Well, thank so. you. I love you both. Oh. So that is my sappy at the top. And um, I know for sure that my sister-in-law listens to us. So um, she's not caught up. So in about two months, she will hear this episode. Like, (laughs) oh, you love my sister. That's so cute. Right. And I keep trying to get. I wasn't sure until I listened (laughs) to this episode. Right. (laughs) I keep trying to get her to move up here because let me tell you, she has been the best soaping assistant because like she's been staying with us since the hurricane. Yeah, I know. She helps me like pack my orders and like she has helped me plan a few new soaps. And I'm like, man, we really do just need to jump in and like go. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I agree with this. I know you do. And so I'm like halfway hoping that you get let go. No offense. Not in a bad way. Then I'm speaking it into existence. There you go. If I, if I don't let go, I will finish out this school year because I do not just walk out on things. Yeah. And then and that's perfectly acceptable. But what I don't love is like you keep thinking that if you go to a different school, if you go like it's going to be less stressful and it always ends up the same amount of stressful for you. And I hate that. I have to say I am a lot less stressed at this school. I have so many fewer responsibilities and the amount of stress that is on me right now is the kind of existential stress that all teachers are feeling that like, as I mentioned on Patreon, I'm on camera performing eight hours a day. And if it were just <laughs> that, I think I would be able to do that. But I also have yeah. like, kids in my classroom because we're doing hybrid. So I have some kids who I've never met before. And I have some kids who come two days a week and they're on alternating days. So like having to put out performance eight hours a day is exhausting. Yeah. Like. Because if I teach the way I, first of all, if I teach the way I normally teach, I'm up and dancing around and singing and moving and like, yeah, kids are, kids are active. We move around my room. I don't do assigned seating, you know, like I've never done any of those yeah. things. And, um, for this year to be like, we're That's literally, why you're the best teacher ever. Well, thank you. This year we're literally all at computers. And like, since I'm having to teach to a camera, the kids in my classroom are also on a computer watching me through zoom, yeah. even though they're in the room with me, but that way everyone gets the same. And like, I'm doing what I can and kids are having as much fun as like, I feel like is possible in this, but it is an existential kind of stress for teachers. Yeah. I mean, I think so, but also um, I lost my train of thought. Anyways, do you have all your kids back yet? No. They will that's good. They will reevaluate for us at the end of the nine weeks. So that's um October thirteenth. Oh. That's what I remember. I was gonna say, like, that's why I just kept mine home for now. Uh-huh. Because I think all the back and forth would be more confusing and it would be helpful. And so I'm like, you know what? Until they figure out like Especially in Texas, until they figure out what the hell they're going to do. Right. He can just sit at home and learn. He does well at it. He's getting good grades. I'm not worried about it. And so the rest of it can go, you know, either way. Your kid is one of the few who, like, would do fine doing a completely online college degree. Like, he's yeah. self-motivated. Mm-hmm. Um, he is. And he's smart. Like, you did good. But. Thank you. 
and he's like learning Japanese. It makes me so mad. <laughs> I know. I want so bad. Like I want so bad to be able to take him to Japan for his senior trip. That would be awesome. Right. Patreon.com slash lifetime. Sentence. Yeah. Slash lifetime sentence. <laughs> uh, like I want to go to Japan, but I he would just die. He'd be in heaven, and I, I want to go to Japan. You can come with us. Okay, lifetime sentence live in Japan. We'll make it Cardonia's trip. Lifetime that sentence would... live in Japan. Yes, <laughs> yes. that too. Everyone who's listening right now has to come too. That would be great. Not next summer, but the summer after. Right, because next summer is the Jersey Shore. Yes. <laughs> Where my only goal is to come on with a Jersey accent and a fake tan. <laughs> Duh. And lots of laundry. Isn't that GTL? Ow, I just hit my microphone. Uh-uh. I don't know. All right. Um, well, we're now almost 10 minutes in, so maybe we should introduce mm-hmm. ourselves. Yes. This is Lifetime Sentence, and I'm having mm-hmm. an existential crisis. And I'm finally not. <laughs> This week. I think I've just turned we'll into that dog. The dog meme that's like, it's fine. This is fine. And everything's on fire. Like <laughs> Everything's on fire. I this don't actually fine. feel like I'm having an existential crisis. Like today was a great day. So That's good. I'm just taking it one day at a time. That's all you can do. Sorry, my ring light's not set up, so I look really scary right now. Mine is. Do I look glowing and like I'm an influencer? Yes, but I can also see your ring light and your glasses, so. Yeah, that's the problem with, like, having glasses, mm-hmm. especially these particular ones. My other ones did not glare so much. Now I'm self-conscious about my ring, and I'm like. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> I know. <laughs> All right. Are you ready? So ready. Okay. This week, I watched The Lover in the Attic. It is one of those cases that is going to be. By far more interesting when you tell us the real story because this case is batshit crazy. Yes, it is. So I'm going to – I have short notes on the movie. We're going to talk about it, and then I'm going to hand it over to you and let you tell us the real story, which is probably so much better. So much better. This movie stars Molly Burnett. She plays Dolly. She looks like Elizabeth Banks. Okay. She's also in Queen of the South, Relationship Status, and she played Victor Kyriakis's, I'm guessing, daughter, I'm hoping daughter, on Days of Our Lives. Okay. <laughs> um, Kevin Fontaine, he plays Otto. He was on Melissa and Joey, Masters of Sex, Sun Records, and Bones. Is he cute? Yes. Okay, because the real life Otto was a looker. Yeah, he's cute. David Fierro, he plays Fred. He was in Maniac, The Nick, and Hawaii Five-O. Okay. He is decidedly not cute. <laughs> it happens. We open at a protest to free, quote-unquote, the Batman. And I did not know this was a DC film. <laughs> yeah. It's, really, it's, it's uh, really an immersive experience. Yeah. Inside a jail... A man is sitting in a cell. Someone brings him a typewriter and says the press is eager for a new story. We start to hear typing sounds in the background while the man voiceovers about never knowing the things he was capable of until he met Dolly. Um, he's still sitting on the bench, not moving, though, so I guess he's typing with his mind. I don't know. Okay. Um, 
Then we immediately cut to two women behind a curtain while Harvey Weinstein's twin sits in a giant leather chair. Perfect. The girl goes out and says she's going for a green-eyed goddess of Hollywood vibe. But the man tells her he's not much for the flicks, see? Um, she introduces herself as Dolly. And he says she can call him Fred. And then he makes out with her hand. So. Well, you have to. Cute. Mm-hmm. We get some title cards that say this macabre tale is based on true events and a real life murder. So someone at Lifetime was feeling themselves. Yeah, they, they were. <laughs> Dolly and Fred get married, we see in photos, but things go sour when Fred eats the entire wedding cake, it seems, from the photos. I'm not sure. Um <laughs> We open in their enormous dining room. Fred is talking about hormone replacement for Dolly so she can have a baby. And Dolly is talking about designing a skirt or blouse. It turns out to be an apron. Um, she says the design is straight from Paris. She says it like that? Yeah. Perfect. And he says his customers are not in Paris. And then he kisses her on the nose and leaves. So they're like really in sync with each other. Good. They have one of those relationships where they just finish each other's sandwiches um <laughs> yes dolly goes to the factory maybe to talk to the gals about simplifying the process so maybe fred will consider adding her apron to the line they're interrupted by a repair worker here to fix the machine Otto, the repairman is also writing a book that dolly starts to read but he says it's nothing for a fancy woman like her and snatches it back uh, when she goes home, it's Fred's poker night. Fred calls her for her, quote, sweet cherry pie. Um, no. No, he doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, then he snaps her ass as she leans over the table to put the pie on the table and nuzzles her chest in front of her friend, oh. in front of his friend. Oh, he was calling for an actual cherry pie. I thought it was a euphemistic cherry pie. It was. Okay, it was so it's both. Jason Biggs already tried this, sir. It wasn't good then either. No. Um, yeah, it was really gross. Um, the voiceover says Dolly's seduced Fred as a meal ticket, but he was getting older and fatter and she wanted more. The next morning, Fred comes downstairs and like just randomly starts feeling Dolly up for a while. Like that's, hands on the boobs. Like that's how you say good grabbing morning. Grabbing her boobs. I don't know. Look, some people talk with their hands. Listen, he's about to die soon. Like, give him one last. No, I can't. He's not going to die for six years. So oh, okay. just calm down. Okay. <laughs> um, She asks him if he'll take her to the speakeasy with his clients that weekend. And so he grabs her by the neck and says... Um, he will not bargain for her affection. Oh, yeah, no. Sorry, sir. I tried to defend you once and only once. She asks again to go to a speakeasy the next day, and he says, no, it wouldn't be. It wouldn't look good for them to be breaking the law out in public. Um, then she asks him to send the repairman out to fix her sewing machine because it's broken, which we see because she takes a knife and, like, fucks it up. That seems like the logical thing to do. Uh, what do you know? It's Otto, the same guy who fixed the machines in the factory. Oh. Um, her neighbor eyes Otto and says, good morning. Um, and 
Dolly answers the door in her nighty and claims that she forgot he was coming. Perfect. He voiceovers that all Dolly had to do was, quote, walk in the room, and I was ready to roll on my back and put my paws in the air. Um, I don't love that. <laughs> <laughs> um, she start, He starts fixing the machine, and she sits and reads him 1920s, like, erotica. Oh, man. She lifted her skirt to reveal her ankle. <laughs> what has she done? Her wrist smelled of the finest perfume of roses and roses. It sent a shiver down his spine. From Paris! Pa- pa- from Paris. <laughs> um, oh, let's see. Did a man write it? Because then all of a sudden her breasts were bouncing breastily, unable to be contained by her breast keepers. Like... <laughs> Breasts were bouncing breastily. <laughs> oh God! Ugh. Have you ever read those things about how men describe women? Yes, yes, I have, and they're all mm-hmm. true. Yeah, bright side. They're like um, the real nice guys. Tm tm. Um, they will say orbs instead of eyes, and that's how you know they wore a fedora. And definitely try to impress women with a sword. Yeah, I'm really just concerned about how often women explode. (laughs) And I'm also concerned about how often women have their just incredibly expensive, of course. Right. Panties torn off. Right. They're like, they disintegrated into his hands. And I'm like... Those cost $300. (laughs) They did not do that. Were they edible underwear? Were they actually a fruit roll-up wrapped around her waist, sir? Is that what disintegrated? (laughs) Why are you ruining her clothes? (laughs) Those panties cost a lot of money. What is wrong with you? Um, Anyways. Um, Then she asks him to rub her feet. Um, She starts asking if he's ever been with a woman and he tells her no, and she says, that's good. Um, then she tells him to take his clothes off. Well, you have to if you're fixing a sewing machine. Yeah. Well, now he's rubbing her feet. Her sewing machine is fixed. Okay, good. Um, and, like, I, I just wrote here, what is happening? Why is he doing it? <laughs> She's like, take your clothes off. And he's like, all right. Okay. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you why he's doing it. Because he's 17. And 17-year-old boys think with one portion of their body, and that's it. Yeah. Um, She tells him that she'll take off her clothes next time. And tells him what to say to Fred if he asks why he has to come back. I enjoy this idea. And then she just, like, gets up and walks out of the room. I enjoy this idea of, like, alternating nakedness. Like... That they're mm-hmm. both not naked at the same time. Like, okay, next time's my turn. Oh, but- <laughs> don't worry. They're going to be naked at the same time very soon. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. Hmm. So he comes back the next day, and she answers the door already mostly naked. She makes him do the dishes. She's like a little dominatrix. <laughs> Someone has a Cinderella complex. She's like, here, do these dishes, and then we'll fuck. Like, <laughs> um... 
da 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 da. Um, then they have a, a lovers montage where they dance and they have sex on things and they giggle, you know, like normal people do. <laughs> they have sex on things. My stupid little brain pictured like things you don't have sex on, like. I don't know, like no. the armchair, not even like the actual couch where people fit. Oh, it was the dining room chair. Yes. Or like a skateboard. Like, <laughs> Listen, if you haven't had sex on every piece of your furniture, you're doing it wrong. Um, duly noted. Thank you. Um, so he comes. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Um. One day he asked her if she would ever get a divorce, but Dolly's like, LOL, no, I will not not be rich. We've heard this phrase before. It was not the same phrase. <laughs> I pulled that. Phrase. Okay. Fred comes home one night and he is wasted. He crawls up the stairs and then they have some very unnecessarily rough sex. Um, Otto takes out another girl. Oh, so before he leaves, um, Dolly tells him to take out another girl just to see if he really wants to commit to her. Okay. So Otto takes out the other girl because Dolly told him to. She lets him kiss her, but he gets a little too um, too kissy. Okay. And so she slaps him in the face. Fred and Dolly have a garden party where... All anybody asks her is about having kids. So he comes home one day and Dolly shows him. Oh, so Fred comes over. No, I'm sorry. Otto. Otto comes over one day and Dolly shows him the attic that they can turn into their perfect love nest. She tells him to move in and the entire place will become their playground. Otto is an orphan, so no one will ever come looking for him, which is depressing. Yeah. Not sexy. Um, and I just want to know, did men in this time just not wear pants that fit? Were they too big? Way too big. Yeah, that was actually the style. Like entirely too big. Can fit another uh, person too big. Okay. Yeah, and then they would belt it real tight and it like ruffle the top a little bit. But they were like a very no. boxy cut that would go straight mm -hmm. down. Oh, then I didn't nope. see these pants. They wore suspenders that... Just, or suspenders, yeah, but so like no, so it was just like a circle. Oh yeah, around no. their waist with suspenders. So then, if they took their suspenders off, their pants would just, just fall, fall down. straight down. No, I think this is something that happened only in Barnum and Bailey Circus, and it happened yeah. to the six men who climbed out of the same little car with white faces. Yeah, um, yeah. So Otto says he'll be a bird in a gilded cage, but Dolly gaslights him and says that she's the one making sacrifices for him. Cut to Otto listening to Dolly and her, her husband having sex. Poor thing. I mean, this whole thing sucks, but like, that's insult to injury. Delightful, right? Um, the next morning after they have sex, she makes... Um, oh, the next morning she goes upstairs after Fred leaves and they have sex. She and Otto have sex. And then she makes him breakfast and then he goes to write. Otto takes baths and writes and wanders around the house. He tries on Fred's clothes, which are way too big for him. Um, he makes her food. He, like, drinks gin in the bathtub, you know. Same old, yeah. Right. Um, he voiceovers that this was the greatest love story ever written, which, dude. 
No. In fact, so um, this is even worse than Romeo and Juliet, and I hate that one a lot. Um, he reads to Dolly in the bathtub. He makes her food one day, but then Fred comes home early, so he has to go back upstairs. Fred comes in and commends her for finally learning how to cook, because when they first got married, she was the worst cook he'd ever met. Um, I'd be putting some... What was that movie? White Oleander that she poisons her husband with? Yeah. Um, she says she can't remember the last time they went to a restaurant, but he grabs her by the arm and tells her that he works too hard and is too tired at the end of the day. He just wants to come home to a nice meal on the table. Then then cook it before you leave. Put on a crock pot. Mm. Um, yeah. Then he's like, oh, I'm sorry. I'll take you out. Okay. I'm so confused. So mood swings um, are a thing. Got it. Um, but then Fred's business takes a turn for the worse. And now it's been four years that Otto has been living in her attic. That makes me want to throw up. Yeah. He's also getting a story published um, by that weird erotica magazine they were reading before. So Dolly decides they're going out. They go to a speakeasy, but Otto, Otto has a panic attack because he hasn't been outside in four years. Holy fuck. So she takes him home. She makes him tea and they talk about the future and how he wants to get married for real. She says no, but she gives him lamb stew that was meant for Fred. And Fred like proceeds to come home after Otto's disappeared upstairs with, upstairs with it and like complained. She says she gave the soup to her mom who's really sick. So he like comes home and is like, that was my soup. <laughs> he's, like, super, he's like super pissed about it. Um, it was so bizarre. Um, then he tells Dolly he's taking her to some exclusive club. He buys her a diamond necklace and they leave for the club. Um, I was really expecting it to be Sam's club. No. So, auto voiceovers that every time Dolly left with Fred, it felt like Dolly was cheating on him. They go to the club, and Fred doesn't want to dance, so instead he gets all pissy while Dolly dances with everyone else, including their insurance salesman, and they have a nice conversation about life insurance. Fred makes her leave early. When they get home, they nearly catch Otto in the dining room, so Fred goes running through the house and gets a gun. Otto goes running through the house and out the door. Dolly just stands there completely silent and still the entire time. Well, what She's else, just standing there. What else do you do when your husband is trying to kill your secret boyfriend and you don't really want to commit to either of them? So Otto goes a-wandering all through the town that night. When he gets back the next morning, Dolly slaps him and then they make out. And then she gives him a bath. Casual. Yeah. <laughs> totes normal the, so the doctor goes with to the insurance oh so dolly goes to the insurance guy to make sure that they are quote amply protected if anything happens to fred um and he assures her that they are fred takes dolly out to dinner where he acts like a complete narcissist and she acts like a spoiled brat after they order he screams at her that she's never going to be famous um she's never going to be an actress she's never going to live in la um, so this is like unprompted, the, like yeah. He's just you'll oh, never be so famous. She, yeah. So she orders, he orders, and then she orders, and she orders this meal, and then she leans over and she's like, "That's Marlene Dietrich's favorite meal." Okay. And then he just like 
kaboom explodes. So they leave the restaurant because they're causing a scene. Um, they go home. They're still fighting. And here comes Otto with the gun. Fred and Otto get into a fight while Dolly largely stands by and does nothing. Um, the fight oh, no. escalates. Oh, and no. then Otto And then Otto shoots him. He steals Fred's watch, Dolly's necklace, and then he, like, backhands her across the face and locks her in the closet. He says he's doing it for effect, but love, I feel like part of it wanted to, wanted to hit her. for love. Love will see them through. So he tells her to get in the closet and scream and not stop screaming until the police get there. Um, the police come and they point out that the guy who took her watch and necklace um, did, also, did not also take Fred's wallet, which was filled with cash. Um, the other detective is like, uh, well, it's not like she locked herself in the closet. <laughs> Am I right? Um so the next day she has to go answer questions. One detective totally knows what's up and the other one is an idiot. Otto goes back into the attic and Dolly is now seducing the insurance man. They have sex on the floor like you do when you're waiting for your insurance money. Um, Dolly gives insurance guy the gun to get rid of. Otto is super pissed about Dolly having sex with him, but she makes him feel better. She's like, it was totally for us, babe. Um they move to L.A. and Otto asks Dolly to marry him again, but she says no again. He says he's going to leave, but once again, she gaslights the fuck out of him. Insurance man comes home from his business trip to find that Dolly has moved. Oh, my gosh. So he goes and fishes the gun out of the river where he threw it uh-uh. and takes it to the detectives. Because <laughs> he's petty. Um, Dolly has a big party and makes Otto wait tables, which is just rude. Um, she starts flirting with some lawyers, so Otto gets pissed and jumps in the pool. He is super pissed this time, and then he goes upstairs. Just then, Dolly gets a phone call from the detective that he's in L.A. and wants to talk to her. Otto tries to convince her to run away to Canada with him, but she says no. They get into a huge fight, and she convinces Otto that she's trying to keep him safe, but things are definitely falling apart. The detective comes over and Dolly has her new attorney friend already. Dolly denies sleeping with the insurance man and giving him the gun. Her attorney shuts him down big time, so he leaves. Otto is upstairs typing a story while Dolly seduces the attorney. She gives him the watch and he notes the initials on the back, which are Fred's. Interesting. Interesting. But he tells her not to worry about it. Mm-hmm. Otto's mad again, so Dolly has to ga- gaslight him again and convince him she's keeping him safe. So now what she's going to do is date the attorney and Otto is going to get his own apartment and they'll still be a thing. But Otto says no. um, And he's not giving in. So Dolly goes out with lawyer guy and Otto snaps. He comes downstairs um, when they get back with a knife. Uh, Oh, he, the lawyer proposes on their date. Oh, great. Okay. So he comes downstairs. Otto does with a knife And he makes um, lawyer guy sit in a chair and he holds a knife to his neck while he talks about how crazy Dolly is. Um, So, okay, I'm just going to say Lifetime just like started making shit up at this point. Yeah. (laughs) So lawyer guy breaks up with her. Um, After he leaves, he tells Dolly that he told the police everything. They get into a bit of physical altercation and... 
Uh, Otto is super pissed because he tells her, um, I could understand you seducing him like for, you know, our relationship or whatever, but you didn't have to take the ring that he gave you. Like as a, an engagement right, ring. Right. I mean, that's fair. Mm hmm. So, and then he, in the most 1920s ta- fashion tells her, I'll be in the attic when the coppers arrive. Yes. Um, so Otto and Dolly both get arrested. Um, Dolly calls attorney guy and he comes to the jail. He tells her he doesn't believe that she loves him, that she still loves him, but he's going to help her get out of jail, possibly. He tells Dolly that Otto is now more famous than Charlie Chaplin and the public loves him. The lawyer says they, they need to go after Otto and throw him completely under the bus and then she'll be free. And she's like, okay, just do it. Um, it's trial time where Dolly gets on the stand and cries about how she felt unsafe with Fred and wanted Otto there to keep her safe. That's why he moved into the attic. She talks about giving him the gun because she didn't want Fred to have it. Otto's attorney brings up the life insurance and it's like $20,000, which I know is a lot now, but just to hear that, I'm like, Oh my God, come on. (laughs) Dolly's attorney takes Otto down while he sits on the stand and cries. Otto is guilty. Um, Dolly has a hung jury. Otto is taken to jail and Dolly goes free. And the end text says, quote, Otto was, Otto was released shortly after sentencing because of the statute of limitations. Otto moved to Canada where he purchased, where he published his stories. Dolly took up with various men and finally remarried two years before her death in 1961. All right. The end. The end. All right. So I went to Wikipedia and I went to Murderpedia and then I got to do one of my favorite things, watch a crime to remember. Yes. So season four, episode six is about this case. And first of all, I had forgotten how much I love a crime to remember and the costuming and the music and like the really poor That's acting. A great show. Like it's a, it was a lovely gift to myself. Like that was self care. Um, That's a great show. I love it. And then I actually, once it got started, I remembered seeing this episode a couple of years ago and it just gets crazier and crazier and crazier as it goes on. So it does. This is the story of Walburga Dolly Osterreich. And I'm just going to call her Dolly because I'm going to fuck up those names a thousand times if I try otherwise. Mm-hmm. So the night of August 22nd, 1922, police were called to a residence by some neighbors who'd heard a gunshot. When police arrived, they heard a woman crying in a closet saying, Fred, oh, Fred, over and over. The door had like been, you do. Right. The door had been locked from the outside. And when police opened it, they found Dolly inside. The body of her husband, Fred, was found dead in the front room of their house And when police questioned her, she said that she was hanging up her stole in the closet when she got pushed inside. She said she thought it was her husband playing a game on her, but the door locked and then she heard gunshots. And that's when she assumed her husband had been shot. Okay. So when the detectives investigated the scene um, in the front room, everything had been knocked over and was left a total disaster. And... (laughs) And we know this to be true because my personal best friend, but she doesn't know she's my best friend yet. So nobody spoil it for her. I want it to be a surprise. Karen (laughs) Kilgariff gave commentary on this episode. (laughs) Um, 
And um, Karen does her research, I said, which if any of you are my favorite murder listeners, you know that much like me, they have to their research. And that's why I love them. But um, anyway, she said that Fred was middle aged and he'd been shot twice in the chest and once in the head. And then there was a stray bullet in the ceiling. The detectives found shell casings for a 25 pistol, but no gun was recovered from the scene. And Fred was known to have a nice pocket watch, um, which he'd been mm-hmm. wearing at the time of his murder, but the watch had been ripped off the chain. I think cut mm-hmm. to a bad actor saying, wow, guess somebody really wanted that watch, huh? <laughs> which is so funny because in the movie it was a wristwatch. Oh, yeah, it's a pocket watch and it's a mm-hmm. gorgeous pocket watch. So Dolly explains to the police that it's a very distinctive watch. It's octagonal with diamonds all around it. And she'd given it to him when they lived in Milwaukee. And I said, this is important for more than just the fact that we know Milwaukee's fucked as we established way back in episode one. True story. (laughs) So they had moved from Milwaukee to Los Angeles four years before Fred's death. He opened a very successful textile plant in Los Angeles um, and they made aprons there. Yes. There we go. Dolly tells the investigators that they'd been married for over 20 years and they'd moved to Los Angeles to expand their business. At the time of his death, Fred had amassed a fortune of $500,000, which is like a lot of money in today's money, but adjusted for inflation, it comes out to about $7 million today. I mean, that is a lot of money. Right. Um, I said, no, that's not a motive for murder. Not at all. Not even a little. No, never, never. When investigators asked if their home had ever been broken into, Dolly said that there had been two attempted burglaries. Um, She said that her husband had heard things multiple times in the night, and he filed reports that he'd heard things moving around his house at night, and that money and food had gone missing from his house. Um, (laughs) And I took a moment just to let Sarah know that if food or money goes missing in our house, it's a burglary, and not that I absolutely have no impulse control. Just ignore the Amazon Prime boxes on the front porch. Please and thank you. (laughs) There you go. I think that covers it. Like if you stated on a podcast, it's true, right? Totally. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. police look around the house and they find that nothing else of value had been taken. Not even his wallet, which had been like in the pocket next to his pocket watch. Yes. That's Uh, what they were saying. They're like, um, this wallet is full of cash. Right. Exactly. Um, So they piece together that Fred must have come upon. So the police initially think that Fred and Dolly have interrupted a burglary in process. And they believe that Fred came upon the burglars in the living room while Dolly was putting her coat away. Um, Mm -hmm. Fred struggled with one man who had a gun while the other man ran and locked Dolly in a closet. Quote, then these clowns, they got scared. They grabbed the watch and they run. The detective said in the worst mid-Atlantic accent I have ever heard. And they grab the watch and they run. Right. Yeah, see? Yeah, see? <laughs> yeah, see? Uh, so none of the neighbors had seen anything. They reported hearing the gunshots and hearing Dolly scream, Fred, oh, Fred. But none of them had seen anybody come in or leave the house. One neighbor sure. reported to police that she'd seen a shadow inside the house walk toward the back. And then a few minutes later, all the lights in the house went out. So all accounts That's point freaky. to... Yeah. So all accounts combined point that the burglars must have stayed at the scene of the crime about 15 or 20 minutes after the, quote, panic murder. I um, mean, uh, 
I feel like it's not panic. Right. If you don't, then leave. Right. What do I know? But still, I'm saying. So, I mean, that was my my idea, too. And that's why I thought it was important to grab that panic murder quote. Um, yeah. <laughs> like if you're panicking, you were trying to get out. I wrote this long enough ago that I forgot what I wrote. And it's like a little gift to myself coming back. Oh, I love that. <laughs> back from commercial break. And then these are, this is the opening like conversation when we're back from the commercial break. It seems it's time to check the wife. All trace of mid-Atlantic accent is now gone. Sure. The wife who was locked in the closet. She was in line to inherit a lot of dough. I checked it. It was locked from the outside and impossible to get from the inside. I grant you it's one hell of an alibi. And everybody, I grant, I present to you a crime to remember in all of its writing glory. Yay. <laughs> um, but Dolly wasn't. Love it. Dolly wasn't looked into seriously, not for a while. Being locked in a closet um, that only locked from the outside really did clear her suspicion, like from suspicion for the most yeah, part. Yeah, of course it did. Until finally, when police kind of ran out of leads, they just kind of like shoot the breeze and they're like, oh but what if she had a co-conspirator? Mm-hmm. No. Um, so. Dun, dun, dun. I feel like that's where the law and order music goes. Right. Bum, bum. Um, so finally police consider that possibly Dolly had taken a lover and then taken a lover. Such a fun phrase that we don't use anymore. It's definitely better nuanced than a side piece. I think I'm just going to like refer to any relationship now on as I've taken a lover. Perfect. Um, so nobody had seen, nobody had ever seen Dolly with another man, neighbors, friends, employees. Nobody had ever seen her with anybody else. And Fred was too busy to have an affair accounting to all accounts, um, according to all accounts rather. However, Fred's employees would go on to say, that he did have a little bit of a temper and he always seemed to be watching over everybody's shoulders. So they don't paint him as super positive light. Yeah. He wasn't that great. It seems like. So following a line of questioning about extramarital affairs leads to nothing. So the investigators begin digging through Fred's financials in relation to his very successful business. Sure. During all this, Holly, Holly, Nope. Dolly hires an attorney named Herman Shapiro. Um, and she cooperates with that's the one that's the one she had sex with yep she cooperates with everything they ask she brings all of friends fred's financial statements and the investigator found that fred kept actually really meticulous records nothing in Mm -hmm. his financial history seemed to lead to a motive for murder so they're stumped again great so police bring in fred's old plant manager from milwaukee and question him about fred's character mostly Um, And Mm -hmm. this is when he reveals that Fred was a, quote, hard drinker and that he was difficult to work for. He said that a lot of people, there weren't a lot of people who liked Fred. Um, And then he says that Fred and Dolly had actually had a son named Raymond who died over 10 years before Fred's murder. Oh. After Raymond's death. They didn't touch on that. I know, which I found very interesting because Mm -hmm. um, there was a psychologist in this episode who brought up some really interesting points in all of this with the psychology of that. The only way they bring it up slightly is that they say, she says, like, when they talk about babies, she says, oh, after the last time, after the last time. But they don't ever say why. What the last time is, yeah. Yeah. So... 
Um, after Raymond's death, Fred had become depressed, angry, an alcoholic, and insufferable in all aspects of his life. Um, Delightful. <laughs> he was said to have buried himself in alcohol and his work to get away from the grief of the loss. Okay. Through all of this, though, Dolly came in and started treating employees like they were her children. Um, so the employees actually found work tolerable because she made things better. She took care of all of them. She checked on them. Uh-huh. Um so she, it was really like, like good cop, bad cop with them. She was very hands on sure. with their business. Mm-hmm. Um, so through That's this, interesting. through this interview with the former manager of the Milwaukee factory, a name came, comes up, Edward Flood. Edward had had trouble with him, like with Fred. Uh, sorry, uh-huh. Fred and Edward had trouble with each other. Um, enough trouble uh-huh. that the manager suspected it actually could have led to murder. And Ed Flood, oh. Ed Flood was an ex-con who Fred had hired to work at his factory um, because Fred actually, before he went super depressed, um, he was known for giving people second chances. So people who'd been recently released from prison, he would offer them jobs on his assembly line and stuff. Oh, well, that's like nice. Right. Um, and then um, Ed, in fact, didn't have anywhere to live. So he wound up moving in with Fred and Dolly for a period of a time. Okay. But Edward Flood got sent back to prison for whatever reason they never reveal. Um, and from his prison cell, he starts sending threatening letters to Fred. Cool. Cool, 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 cool. After a few years, he's released from prison and he disappears from existence. His, whereabout, his whereabouts were um, unknown at the time. And so their first it was the first real lead they had to follow, but there wasn't much to follow mm-hmm. even then. Um, Bummer. But while they're investigating this lead, there's an interesting development in the case. Mm-hmm. An octagonal diamond, uh huh, an octagonal diamond-studded pocket watch is seen in the possession of Herman Shapiro, Dolly's attorney. Yeah, that watch that matches perfectly the description of her husband's fancy watch that she bought him. Mm-hmm. So the that's crazy town, right? So the investigators ask the attorney to come to the station to answer some questions, um, and they mention that as Dolly's attorney, he stands to make a lot of money from Fred's death and Dolly's inheritance. Um, right, and it is very interesting. He should be the one with whom this watch winds up. Mm-hmm. So when he's asked about it, he tells police that it was a gift for his birthday from Dolly. He then admits that he and Dolly are currently romantically involved. And this turns suspicions back to Dolly and kind of confirms this co-conspirator idea. Um, right. And investigators bring Dolly back in for questioning this time in relation to Shapiro receiving the watch. And right. Do- Dolly says, it's simple, really. She was just straightening her pillows on the couch one day when, oh, look at that. She found Fred's watch. It must have just fallen off the chain after he'd been shot. And since he wasn't using it anymore, she might as well give it to the new man in her life. I guess it wasn't really stolen after all, officer. I totally forgot to tell you. What's the big deal? Mm-hmm. So in the movie, she tells, um, she gives him the watch. And he's like, oh, initials, you know, F.O. for Fred. Osterreich. Yes, thank you, Osterreich. And she's like, oh, yes. She's like, I found that in the move. Um, So please, I forgot to tell the police. They won't be mad, will they? (laughs) And he's like, of course not. It's totally fine. So let's make out. 
So police began investigating Shapiro as this potential suspect or co-conspirator, co-conspirator with Dolly. Um, co-conspirator. Yep. Conspirator, <laughs> in fact, is where I was headed. Transponster. Exactly. Um, but there is no record of him having any contact with her uh, until about two months after the murder. So she really did only hire him after the investiga- investigation started, which effectively rules him out as a possible suspect in the case. But that doesn't stop Dolly from being a suspect. They're back on this. She had a co-conspirator idea. Um, Of course. And pursuing this line of inquiry further, they found that Dolly had been dating a movie producer since her husband's death named Ray Klum. Okay. Ray was a Hollywood producer, but he'd been a friend of theirs back in Milwaukee. Um, In fact, he'd fallen on hard times before he made it to Hollywood and they loaned him some money. So I was going to say, like, why is a movie producer in Milwaukee? Right. So when police asked Ray what he'd done to pay Fred and Dolly back, he said that he he did something he regretted. He'd done her a little favor. Um, mm-hmm. So he said that a few days after the murder, Dolly had given him a package that felt, quote, like the outside of like the outline of a gun. I'll just let that sink in because your face is the same one I made. The outline of a gun. <laughs> like the outline of a gun. It could have been anything, though. Right. Probably just milk. But it was definitely probably a gun. And she said that he needed to get rid of it for her. And, like, you didn't, I don't know, call the police or anything. Like, I'm still baffled by this. Like, oh, okay. So Seriously, if somebody gives me a gun, I'm like, I'm taking it straight to the police. Because I'm going to assume that it's been used in some kind of murder. Right. So he said that he'd got gotten... be like, here you go, officer. Also, I made a thing of my fingerprints. So, you know, which ones are mine. Please take <laughs> <Right>. it. <laughs> um, so he said that he'd gotten rid of it at the La Brea tar pits. Um, so he says he chunks it into the tar pit, hoping it would sink into the mud because like, essentially that's how you get rid of any evidence in LA. You just throw it in the tar pits cause it'll eat it whole and you can't ever get it back. So, I mean, yeah, as long as it's going to sink, as long as it's going to sink quickly enough for not anyone to find it. Uh-huh. Well, good news is the police go to search the tar pits or I wrote the tar pets that time, which is just like a bunch of dogs mm. covered in ick. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love that. They get to the edge and they find it sitting on the edge of a tar pit. Like he hadn't even thrown it hard enough to make it in the actual tar pit. So it's just still wrapped up in a bag by the gross. You had one job. <laughs> and then because it was the 20s and nobody gave a single fuck, the cops just picked it up with their bare hands. Sure. And then I said, <laughs> I said, but you know, you and I both know that was unlikely. They probably picked it up with their tongues and then rubbed their hair and skin all over it because that's just mm-hmm. how things seem to always go. Because- <laughs> yep. It's the same, same, um, Likelihood with which I want to lick John Ham's face. Yes. <laughs> so seven months after the murder of Fred, Dolly was arrested. Finally, she told mm-hmm. the police that she had found the gun just casually lying around the house a few days after the murder. Um, it was just in the same pillow with the watch. It was so weird. <laughs> I, I'm so confused. And she said, first of all, I feel like if, and maybe I just don't know. Oh, you froze. Hold on. Okay. Okay, you're back. So maybe you don't know. 
maybe I don't know how police work works, but I feel like if someone was murdered in my home, that was not me, obviously, because right. yeah, it was a stranger and they were in my house for some reason. Another stranger that was also in my house for some unknown reason kills them and then runs away. I feel like the police would then search my home. You would think. For like evidence or, you know, if the one stranger had been wearing a really nice watch, they'd, you know, take a gander around the place just to make sure it wasn't there. Yeah, one would one would hope. Make sure it didn't fall off in the scuffle. Right. I don't know for sure, but I feel like that's what they would do. I mean, we've covered enough of these cases by this point that we know police work doesn't always come out the way you would expect. Especially not in Wisconsin. <laughs> right. But we're in L.A. now. So. Um, so Dolly says that she didn't tell the cops about it because she knew it would make her the primary suspect. So she did something way less shady and called a friend to throw it into the tar pit. You know, like you do. And um, there was no. There was no mm-hmm. witness evidence or forensic evidence to convict Dolly at the time. The DA was just hoping at this time that more evidence would be uncovered after the gun was found. Um, and because there was still just so much writing on the fact that Dolly had been locked in that closet that could only be locked from the outside. Mm-hmm. So okay. po- police go to investigate the closet again. The officers try to prove that she could have locked herself in the closet, but it's impossible. She had to have had help. So, in 1925, the DA announces that he doesn't have enough evidence to take Dolly to trial, and Dolly is released from, re- released from police custody, and, like, the music from this episode is so great, like, they play, like, happy 20s music as she's being freed from the prison, and, like, she comes out looking all glamorous. Of course. Mm-hmm. So, the case goes cold for five years. Then in 1930, Herman Shapiro comes to the DA saying that he'd like to make an official statement in the murder case of Fred Ostreich. He said that it was hard to believe, but when Dolly got arrested in 1923, she'd asked him for a very strange favor. He said that he visited her regularly in jail, and one day she asked him to pick up some items from the store. She said to pick up the groceries and take them to her house, and he said that raised a red flag because her house should have been standing empty since her husband was dead and she's in jail. Um, Mm -hmm. But she says that they were for her, quote, vagabond half-brother. Yeah, she does try to convince the neighbor that he's he's a brother from um that that fred doesn't like because um he's he he has a different lifestyle or something basically that he was homeless and um but she you know she continued to serve him meals because she thought it was the good christian thing to do good well there you go and her neighbor was like i totally understand (laughs) we all have that sibling we're embarrassed of it's fine we do (laughs) And if you don't, I'm sorry to inform you. It's you. (laughs) Fortunately, the sibling that I'm embarrassed of and the sibling that the rest of my family is embarrassed of are different because I'm the sibling the rest of my family is embarrassed of, but one of my siblings is the sibling that I'm embarrassed of. Same though, same. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So, I just didn't get that degree, even though I make way more money and have a much more successful career. Well, listen, that's none of my business. I'm the embarrassment because I have a degree. So I have multiple, in fact. Cheers. Cheers. Um, so anyway, um, so then he tells, or then she tells um, Herman Shapiro that he's been living in her attic because he's a recluse and that Herman is supposed to scratch three times on the attic door to let her brother know that he's there. So Herman did as he was instructed and I guess he was supposed to leave the groceries, but he decided not to. He stayed there so he could meet the brother quote brother. Sure. Um, and the brother comes out to take the groceries. And so he starts this story and he says that now Dolly and Herman are broken up. So he's ready to squeal. Um, the man introduces himself as Otto Sanhuber and he didn't look like a vagabond or vagrant at all. He was well-groomed and well-spoken. He was described as a white, small, as white, small, and appeared to be in his thirties. Shapiro mm-hmm. admits that he'd been in that house numerous times and it had and had no indication that somebody was living in the attic and that Dolly had never mentioned her brother before that moment. So Herman asked Otto, like, he tried to be casual, and he was like, oh, so you're Dolly's brother. Like, what was it like growing up with her? And he's like, I'm I'm not her half-brother. I'm her boyfriend. No, that he's her lover. Um, So I said he admitted to Herman, Dolly's apparent boyfriend, that he was Dolly's lover. So like, hey, I know you've been... uh, Actually, he didn't banging know. my girlfriend. He but... didn't know that they'd been banging, and so that was where oh. this whole thing kind of. So cause... in the movie, he fucking knows the whole time. Yeah, Otto can't hear upstairs, according to Otto and Dolly's testimony. Mm-hmm. Um, so he said that it had started all the way back in Milwaukee. Um, he said he'd grown up as an orphan, and he met Dolly in 1911. He was a teenager working as a sewing machine repairman at Fred's factory. Dolly was very friendly with him and Dolly invited him over to repair her sewing machine. So on one occasion when Dolly opened the door, um, (laughs) I said when Dolly opened the door in the episode, the sexy trumpet music started playing. And so now I'm beginning to suspect that Dolly didn't invite him over to fix her sewing machine after all. But she invited him over to fix something else. Um, and, then I, and then I said, or I don't really understand the euphemism that, of what a sewing machine is. And I owe Sarah a lot of apologies. <laughs> no, 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 it was not. That. So it was a euphemistic sewing machine, not a it euphemistic was. pie. Yes. Um, so Dolly answered the door, according to Otto, in a silk robe, black stockings and nothing else. And Otto knew exactly how to fix her so her treadle, <laughs> her undercarriage. He, um, I wrote this like I was going to remember that I'd put this punctuation for emphasis. Instead, I read it like I'd broken up sentences that were stupid. Um, so I'm going to take another running start of that. And Dolly knew exactly how to fix her treadle. That's how that was supposed <laughs> to be delivered. There you go. Insert gratuitous scene of Dolly rubbing her feet all over Otto while he fixed her treadle. Um, and so mm-hmm. like your whole like this was a thing in the movie too. Scene, I was like, she must why? have had a foot thing, uh, which is fine. She, I was just I don't find feet particularly attractive, aka they make me want to vomit. Either. But like, no judgments on people who like feet. I just wasn't prepared for a foot scene. 
Um, right. And then it cuts immediately without warning to Dolly riding Otto while they both make these odd made for TV movie. I mean, made for TV moans. Mm-hmm. Um, but seriously, Dolly was 33 when she met the 17 year old Otto and this affair started. Um, right. And <laughs> then Karen Kilgariff says after that, Dolly's sewing machine would break down in air quotes a lot. Uh, yeah, because in the movie, she's like, that sewing machine might break every day. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So then it cuts. I'm apparently now just describing this episode that I've watched. Um, yeah, that's fine. Like, it immediately cuts to more like odd made-for-TV moaning while Karen Kilgariff's talking. And then it cuts to <laughs> auto... Oh, and then she said that Otto said that Dolly was insatiable and that they would fuck eight to ten times a day on her visits, on his visits, I mean. And I'm tired just I mean, that, that sounds like a really good day, honestly. <laughs> he said that Dolly... But this is why I can't keep a lover, because I wear them out. Um, well, put a, put a Craigslist ad up for uh, Sewing Machine Repairman and see what happens. Nah, I'm good. Um... So Dolly, uh, he said that Dolly intimated to him that Fred didn't pay her any attention. So then Dolly begins to worry that her neighbors were going to notice the frequency with which Otto starts coming to her house. So she comes up with the perfect plan to not get caught. If Fred never leaves, no one can catch him leaving. And Fred never goes to the attic. So Otto could quit his job and move into the attic. And I mean, who doesn't want a fuck toy in their attic at any given time? I I don't. Basically, Otto gets to live rent free. Fred would leave for work in the mornings and Otto would have his run of the house with Dolly all day. And Dolly got her skittle diddled anytime she wanted. <laughs> her skittle. Please move on. <laughs> I was very proud of myself. And um... you shouldn't be. You should be ashamed. Go. <laughs> so, um, And then even Fred got to benefit from this arrangement. Fred was too cheap to hire a maid, even though he was wealthy. So in return for free room and board and unlimited sex, of course, Otto would be required to make the beds, sweep him off the floors and do the laundry. And when Fred was home, (laughs) Dolly would sneak food and books up to Otto in the attic. Um, He wanted to be a writer. He wrote a lot of noir um, and so he would spend a lot of time writing his own stories in the attic. And she was like, it's basically like you get to be a full-time writer. Um, yes. Yes. And when Fred and Dolly would go out at night, sometimes then Otto would go out and walk around the neighborhood and get some fresh air. And this continued for six years. Six years. He lived up there for six years. Oh, also, I just want to say like, I'm looking at a picture of real Otto. Uh-huh. And I mean, he's all right, I guess. Look at who played him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The guy who played him in A Crime to Remember was really hot, too. But he's not listed on the episode. So, like. Look how many abs he has. Is it's that like so a 30-pack? Like, he got that at yes. Sam's Club? Mm-hmm. Apparently, this episode is brought to you by Sam's Club. Because that's the second or third reference I've made. <laughs> <laughs> the classiest store I've ever shopped at. Leave me alone. <laughs> You know what? I honestly believe it. So go. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so Otto was an orphan who was 
and he was known as a foundling, which means he'd literally been found on a doorstep. Um, right. And so this was a connection I kind of made, but then this forensic psychologist came and put it all into words better than I could. So uh-huh. what she said basically is he had no expectations in life and really didn't have a way to improve his lot in life. In the twenties, you didn't have a lot of upward mobility if you weren't already wealthy. Well, yeah. Um, it was the great depression already. So, right. Yeah. So for Otto, this arrangement was as good as he ever expected to get. It was stability in a full, like, it was stability in a life full of instability. And not to mention, Dolly was older and very motherly. Besides the sexual attraction, Dolly had never really recovered from the loss of her son. And he needed a mom. So, like, all the ooginess that comes with that, also. There's, like, so much edible. Yes. There's so many edible things going on. Not uh, edible. Edible. Have, do you watch um, Big Mouth or have you watched Big Mouth? Mm-hmm. it's so fucking hilarious, but there's a running gag in one episode. It's so it's, are you familiar with the show or do you know anything about it? Mm-mm. So it's, nope. and it's an adult cartoon and it's about kids coming of age. Like it's all these like teenagers dealing with puberty, but there's sure. an episode where, um, Nick Kroll's character has to face the fact that he's too old to kiss his mom on the lips anymore, but there's a running gag for Oedipal arrangements. And every time it's said, I just laugh harder and harder. It's wonderful. That's hilarious. So, um, so finally seven years into Dolly and Otto's affair, Fred decides to move his business to Los Angeles to expand, moving Dolly Mm -hmm. with him. So Dolly helps Otto move secretly with them. He like, he moves ahead of them and moves into the attic. Um, so he moves from an Which attic. Which is like so weird. She's like, here, go to this address and go to the attic. Uh-huh. So he moves from an attic in Milwaukee to an attic in Los Angeles. And at this point, like, why the fuck not? Everything else has been making great sense up to this point. Sure. Absolutely. So this is about the time Fred starts to notice big, bizarre things around their house. He notices the missing food and money for the first time. He hears movements. Um, Dolly would tell him that he was working too hard and the alcohol was getting to his head and that he was going crazy basically. Um, and so that way she could just gaslight him so that she could keep Otto her dirty little secret. So Otto explains to Shapiro in all of this confession that, um, the months leading up to the murder, there'd been multiple break in attempts. And um, Otto says that when Fred, like he confirms that there had been multiple break-in attempts. Um, So Otto says that when Fred and Dolly would go out at night, he'd act as a guard for the house. He, in fact, considered himself a member of the household. Mm -hmm. Um, And he would kind of walk up and down the house with a gun just to protect things. He said the night. Okay, that's weird. uh, uh Uh-huh. He said the yeah. night of the murder, Fred and Dolly came home from the party. They were fighting loudly and Fred was awful to Dolly. He was afraid that Fred was hurting Dolly. So he ran downstairs to confront Fred and saw Dolly on the ground. So Otto said that Fred started running toward him and um, he feared that Fred was going to beat and or kill him. So he shot Fred in self-defense. He had no other choice. Of course not. So then after Otto accidentally self-defensively kills Fred. They have to craft a story for Dolly to keep her innocent. 
So he told Shapiro that it was his idea to stage it as a robbery and save Dolly from being a suspect in Fred's death. They take the watch and he puts Dolly in the closet and he locks her from, locks it from the outside. Um, and then he puts the key like on the table by the closet where police would be able to find it. Um, and that's when he returns to the attic and waits to see what happens. I locked happen. her in, but here is the key. Right. And like, you remember that whole thing you were like, I would hope that police would like search the house. Well, they didn't go to the attic at any point. Well, I mean, they didn't even find the watch <laughs> right. or the gun. So I'm really not concerned that they didn't find the attic. I'm more concerned that they didn't find the evidence at the crime scene. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so... So then it turns out that even after Fred's death, Dolly doesn't allow Otto to move downstairs. She never had any intentions of having an actual relationship with him. He was just a pawn in her own crazy game. Um, Yep. So basically, like, it was kind of understood that if anything should happen to Fred, like, her and Otto could have this open relationship that people could know about. And, but, um, she kept finding reasons. Right. She kept finding reasons, obviously like, well, no, I'm protecting you. Nobody can know you're up here because what if they come looking for you or what if they figure out that you killed him, blah, blah, blah. Um, or really it was like, you're poor and I need to be with someone rich. So here's where the spending money. Right. So here's where the timeline gets a little, messy for me between different tellings. Um, but I'm going to go okay. with the crime to remember telling because they tend to ha- be really well researched. Um, yeah. After confessing everything to Shapiro, Otto goes into hiding. Um, he remains hide in hiding for eight years. Um, in fact, okay. Herman, Herman Shapiro helps him move to Canada where he changes his name to Walter Klein and he marries another woman. Um, and then he eventually returns to Los Angeles for this trial. Um, Mm -hmm. so in 1930, finally, because of this confession or this story from Herman Shapiro, Otto is charged with manslaughter, but the statute of limitations for manslaughter in California at the time was three years. And since this was eight years after the murder, he walked free or like eight years after, uh, eight years after they found out that it was him. I mean, Oh yeah. So like. He didn't set any jail. Like, he was convicted, but he didn't actually serve any time. Okay. Um, so this story is sensational. The press had a field day I mean, with it. In, this, in the statute of limitations, can you even try something after it's run out? I don't know that answer. So I'm just kind of explaining that's what really they That's really confusing. Uh-huh. That's like, what I in thought. in the 20s. I mean, I guess in the 20s, things were different. But I know now, if, if like, you stole a lip smackers in your teens... And they find out about it in your, you know, late 40s. They're not going to be like, you have to go to trial, even though we can't punish you. Right. Thank God, too, because I definitely did my fair share of shoplifting when I was 15 and 16. I was in college, but same. Yeah. Um, and then one of my friends got caught and then I didn't do it anymore. <laughs> so I had I'd only ever confessed this to Sarah. And then one time I said something about it to my best friend and she was like, Where'd you shoplift from? And I was like, Kmart. And she was like, oh, it's a rite of passage in our hometown. You have to shoplift from Kmart. I I just laughed. Like, I didn't realize it was such a universal thing. What is the statute of limitations on on, uh, shoplifting? I don't know. Surely it's more than how old am I? 
16, 17 well, I'm years. I'm deciding if I want to tell you the story or not. <laughs> okay, keep going. Okay, you can tell me off air. Because I want to yeah, hear. I'll tell you on air if it has if it's run out. Okay. Um, so this story obviously is sensational. The press have a field day with it. They call Otto all kinds of names in the press, like attic lover, the ghost in the, and the ghost in the garret, the phantom. But the name that really sticks is in fact, the Batman. Why? (laughs) Because he lived in the attic like a bat. Bats don't live in the attic. You weirdos. Um, so, um, Otto returns to Canada where he has an actual pretty normal, stable life. Like I said, he'd gotten married. Um, but this story that Shapiro told them was crazy as fuck, but it obviously answered every question the investigators had been left with. So Dolly says that the most that she was responsible in her trial, that the most she's responsible for was having an affair that whatever happened between Otto and Fred was their business. And because there was no Mm -hmm. evidence to hold her responsible or accountable for the death, the case results in a hung jury. So Dolly walks away free. Um, and Mm -hmm. Just like I want to say, Dolly was the absolute queen manipulator. In a time when women had next to no legal rights, she had the entire world by the balls. Mm -hmm. She had come from, like, she had not come from a very good family, but she convinced a rich man to marry her who then just kept amassing wealth. She um, got Otto to be her secret lover to live in her attic for nearly a decade. She got Ray Klum to dispose of a gun for her. She got Herman Shapiro to keep her secrets while he was her attorney. Like she knew what she was doing to manipulate all these people. Oh, Uh, totally. Which I'm not praising her, but I am saying like, it is an impressive game of manipulation. I mean, that bitch knew what she was doing. That's for sure. Absolutely. Um, So she remarried a man named Ray Bert Hendrick, her partner of 30 years when she was 80 years old. And then according mm-hmm. to this episode, she died two weeks later, but you said lifetime said two years later. So this is where like that in yeah. timeline gets a little off for lots of sources. Um, and then just a little bonus at the end of the episode, they showed photos of the actual people from the case and their casting director did an excellent job at finding actors who really? looked like the photos. Yeah. That's so cool. All right. All right. Well, do you want to hear my shoplifting story? I would love to. It's five years, by the way, <laughs> the statue. Right. Um, So my friend and I in college, um, I had a fairly serious eating disorder and I found that there were certain things I could purchase, um, to help that, um, to help me not eat. Right. Uh, so I said skinny. And so my friend and I, we would, of course, my parents were funding my lifestyle at the moment, which ended quickly after all this, (laughs) Uh, my parents were funding my lifestyle, so I'd be like, hey, I'm going to go buy some new jeans. Uh, they'd send me money. I'd steal the jeans okay. from Dillard's and then pay for the other things that I wanted out of the money they sent. What screwed it up for me was something that never should have screwed it up for me was the fact that one night – so I had a I had a ATM card that was tied to my parents' account, and I could only take money out of it when I was allowed to. 
And one night, one of my friends stayed over at my house, and she had a bunch of parking tickets to pay. And I didn't think anything of it. Like, I left my stuff in, I mean, it was my house. And I left my stuff in the living room when I went to, or in the, yeah, in the dining room when I went to bed. In the middle of the night, she stole my credit card, or my my ATM card. She had seen me put in the PIN number before, so she stole a bunch of money out of my parents' account. And my parents, like, call me at, like, 6 in the morning screaming. And I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Right. And they were like, we're going to pull the video and blah, blah, blah. And if it was you, like, all this. But it turned out she confessed. And then her parents made her move home. And then my parents were like, we think you need to move home, too. Yikes. I was like, okay. She ruined it all. But also in a good way, so... So, mine doesn't have nearly that good a story. Um, I, <laughs> so, the, listing the things that I stole just make me laugh. Um, I stole a pair of Calvin Klein underwear from Sears or JCPenney or one of those places. <laughs> Sears! I hope it was Sears. <laughs> I might have even been Dillard's. Like, we might have been classy on that one. Um but that is what started oh, my obsession. I steal stuff from Dillard's all the time. That is what started my obsession with like nice underwear, which is hilarious. <laughs> um, but then I moved to Kmart because like, I think the alarm only went off when you paid for stuff at Kmart. <laughs> so like if, yeah. if you hadn't put something in your pocket, then you were wrong. Um, but like yeah. I said, I just didn't know that everyone felt that way until I admitted this in my late twenties. Um, but like a Game Boy game and like mm-hmm. Rice Krispies treats and like just bullshit. Like I didn't even have a like a, a thing I was after. You know, cer- certain people are like they yeah. do jewelry or they. No, I was just like mm, fat kid wants Reese. Like what's Rice Krispies? I need a new video game. I I was super careful because I was like very into not getting caught. But I had friends that were very brazen about their shoplifting activities. Like, I had a friend at the time that would be, um, she would, like, walk into Old Navy, put on a jacket, and just walk out. Wow. And I was like, I, no, I can't even be in the store with you because I'm not going to jail today. Right. Um, but I learned quickly, okay, first of all, you never steal from Target. They will catch you. Oh, absolutely. And they will jail. Dillard's my friend one of my friends finally got caught stealing from Dillard's and I had to go bail her out of jail that was scary and I wasn't even there right (laughs) yeah and but I mean lucky jeans were expensive okay they just were yes they were um they still are they still are have I I don't have to wear them anymore because I'm not in college they were expensive okay have I and ever, also, I don't think anybody at Lucky was missing their one fucking pair of jeans, okay? <laughs> <laughs> um, did I ever tell you about the memoir that I've been kind of working on called Petty Theft? No. It's <laughs> the collection of things. I have a box of things I've stolen from people or places just because I was mad at them. And <gasps> so... I've been I can't working wait on this, this memoir book. of petty theft and like really, really ridiculous things. And I want to write like an essay about everyone that I stole. <laughs> I think you definitely should. Absolutely. And we will make sure it gets published. <laughs> that's so that's the dream. I making soap would be a fun job, but published author, that's the dream. 
I know, but you could make soap and then spend time writing while it cures. Absolutely. Um, But I just like, I have to remind myself that's the dream because after the, after the last time I was offered a contract and I had to turn it down because they wouldn't budge on terms, it Mm -hmm. really broke me in a way that I didn't think I was going to recover from. But like, Mm -hmm. I've been writing again. I get that. So, so my it last be my relationship broke me in a way that I don't think I'll ever recover from. And I'm still not there. Not even close. Wow. But here's to recovery for both of us for very different reasons. Maybe someday. We'll see. And if not, you know what? It's fine. If not, you have great hair and a new job. So like, we're going to thank That's God. True. We're going to be thankful for the small things today. I'm still glowing up. You are for glowing up sure. for sure. <laughs> Every day you're better than the day before. Thank you. <laughs> I do my best. Um, well, do you want to tell everybody where they can find us? Sure. Okay. You can find us on Instagram at Lifetime Sentence, on Twitter at Life Sentence Pod. You can find us at Facebook.com slash Lifetime Sentence. Um, you can email us at Lifetime Sentence Podcast at gmail.com. Go to our website for show notes and all the other various things at lifetimesentence.com. You promised me a shortened version of the link for merch, but the look in your eye tells me that you don't have it. it. By the time this episode goes live, it will be on our website. Excellent. So go to lifetimesentence.com for that. And then Patreon, patreon.com slash lifetimesentence. You can subscribe and hear all the funny shit that we're doing. And also for our Patreon subscribers, you will understand this story. Your gigantic stickers are going to be mailed out. Yes, Patreon members, we sent an email asking for your addresses. Please get on Patreon, send us, reply to that message, send us your address so we can get those out this week, please. That sticker will fit on a back window of your car, I promise. It will fit on any window you have ever seen. <laughs> and people will see it. Wherever you put it, people will know you are a proud supporter of Lifetime Sentence. It's huge. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I hope you all can't wait to get them. If you want one, go to patreon.com slash Lifetime Sentence. We'll be giving them away until we run out and order different ones or just decide to order more big ones. I don't <laughs> At this point, it's whatever. Like... Life is a surprise. Stick to one hand, one half in the other. We don't know. uh, 2020s just throwing us all kinds of curveballs. We're taking what we get. For real, though. (laughs) All right. Well, until next time, you cannot, and I cannot stress this enough, you cannot forget to eat your vegetables. Charge your phone. Wear your masks. Wash your hands. (laughs) I was like, is she going to say it? Our Thank you for listening to this Patreon exclusive episode. The song She Dreams in Blue was written and recorded by Josh Woodward and is available at joshwoodward.com. <laughs>